Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Just Films and That with me, Josh Hallam. And me, Alice Oliver. This is the podcast where we talk about films that we think are underrated, underappreciated, or we just wanted to talk about them. We're also going to get stuck into some classic films that one of us maybe hasn't seen and maybe throw in some great guests along the way. So, we start, as we do every week, with a random question. Alice, what was the last good book you read? So, the last book I read, it was, I believe, an introduction to Nietzsche. So, I was, uh, I got my interest perked by Nietzsche. I can't quite remember why. It might have been because of one of the epic rap battles, actually. I don't know if you watch those. Um, and so, I thought, oh, yeah, let's find out a bit more about him. So, I divulged and uh, found out a bit more about Nietzsche. It was very interesting and about his philosophy. But I'm currently reading. And I don't, you know what? I used to read loads as well. But in recent years, I've been absolutely useless with it. And even now, when I try and read, I'll do like a page a week or something. It's like I just can't. I just can't maintain the focus for some reason. But at the moment, I'm reading Elantris by Brandon Sanderson. And I'm only about a quarter of the way through, but it's really, really good. And he has a fantastic writing style. Um, so I would definitely recommend him. And my husband's read like 10 of his books or something. Just like consistently good, just like high quality fantasy. Yeah. What about you? I, th- I feel like you've told me before that you like more autobiographies and stuff. I, um, I do. I like both. I try and read both. Um, I did go for quite a long time without reading any any fiction, but I've sort of tried to to get into fiction because I like I do like both. So the last good book I read was a book called um, How to Stop Time by Matt Haig. That's quite good. Uh, if you don't know Matt Haig, he does quite a lot on Twitter around like mental health and a lot of stuff like that. He's really he's really good Twitter follow. But also, yeah, so it's it's a book called How to Stop Time. That is fiction. That's about a sort of group of like how do you, like an underground society of people who age something like something like 10 times slower than normal people so they have to like move around constantly and establish new friendship groups because as soon as everyone realizes they don't age they clock on to it and you know it's a really interesting book I'd, I'd recommend you check it out like you I, I i try and read as much as i can but I spend so much time reading for for work and for this and that sort of thing that it's difficult to also read for pleasure. So at the moment I'm actually reading, I'm, I'm I always try and read at least one like in you know in air quotes classic a year. So th- this year I, I've tried to read. I'm trying to read 1984. Oh yeah. Oh interesting. Yeah, which I believe someone told me that is the most it's the most lied about book when people say they've read it but you haven't. So oh, I'm yeah. I, I'm trying to persevere with it. I'm about halfway through, and it is good. It takes a little bit of time to get used to because there's a lot of like um, language and 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 linguistics in it that are like part of the world and and how the world is it, this version of the world is aged. So you, you have to get your head around that a little bit, like something like a Hotwork Orange. You have to get your head around that. Um, but no, I am enjoying it. I'm determined to be one of the person people who's actually read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, what I have read, I did read Fifty Shades of Grey because, you know, when it come out and I was just like, I bet this is shit and I bet it's going to be <laughs> awful. But I was like, but you need to read it before you can pass judgment. And I feel like everyone was sort of slagging it off without actually having read it. And I read it and it was really bad. So yeah, I was like, I, yeah, my suspicions were accurate. <laughs> I think I picked it up and tried to read it 
and got like a like a chapter in and went like well, was where, like where's the sex? For me, you've got to hook just... me in, hook me in with the sex, and yeah, then really like, yeah. <laughs> for me, it was just like the writing style. It just felt really basic. Like it felt like something that like GCSE students would have written at, at, at you know at high school or whatever. It didn't feel like a sort of like complex writing. But I, I guess people get drawn in. I get. I guess repressed people who don't feel like they can be sexually liberated felt like it was giving them something. Uh, but no, should read more. It's good for you. It's good for your brain. Definitely. Uh, so we'll move on to talking about this week's film, uh, which is Rain Over Me from 2007. Uh, I should just say before we start, two things. Obviously, as we do every week, there is a spoiler warning for this, but I am just going to say as well, we will probably cover some quite dark subjects in this episode. So if you're not feeling particularly like you want to hear people talk about loss, grief, you know, mental health, then, you know, perhaps come back to this episode when you're feeling uh, a little bit better. Um, and we hope you do feel better. However, the film, um, it was chosen by me. Uh, so to give you a little bit of background on the film, it stars Don Cheadle and Adam Sandler. Uh, Don Cheadle plays a successful dentist named Alan Johnson. Uh, he's starting to, he sort of feels a little bit lost in his life. So one day he, he bumps into his old college roommate, uh, Charlie, who's played by Adam Sandler. The Charlie lost his wife and his daughters and the family dog in the uh, 9-11 attacks um, on New York. And he's sort of crippled by grief. So Alan tries to reconnect with him and try and help him in any way he can. Um, so Alice, I'm interested to know, had you seen this one before? Hadn't seen it, hadn't heard of it. And I will be honest, usually if Adam Sandler is attached to something, I avoid it like the plague. Um, I'm not really a fan of his. I've, I've always just found him like, like he's one of them who's sort of meant to be funny and people find him funny and I just never found him funny. Um, but no, was uh, very surprised by this. Very surprised. Uh, yeah. Please, I would like to know why you picked this one. And I think this might have been one of the heavier ones that we've covered for sure. Yeah, it is. It is quite a heavy film. So, I, and that's not why I picked it. I picked it for a few reasons. Number one, it's sort of to, to echo what you said, which is I'm not a huge fan of Adam Sandler's more recent work. Um, I've been quite harsh on Adam Sandler on this podcast in the past when we did one of his other films. So I thought for a while I've been thinking, well, I'm going to pick a film to show I actually don't think he's rubbish and I don't think it, you know, I, I, I don't I think he's a bad actor or anything like that. I don't like a lot of his certainly more recent films. However, I do think he has done good films. I'm a big fan of things like, because I was thinking about what could I pick and, and I'm a big, and I do like things like, it's sort of 90s stuff. So I do like Big Daddy. I like Happy Gilmore. I quite like Billy Madison. I think The Wedding Singer is like a really good film. Um, obviously, there's other serious roles he's done, like Punch Drunk Love um, and Uncut Gems, which I haven't got around to watching yet. So I saw this a little while ago, and I'd only seen it once. And I remember thinking it was quite a sort of touching little gem of a film. And I don't know many people who've seen it and I have brought it up to people and not many people have heard of it. So in a roundabout way, well, I'm waffling now a little bit, but I've picked it for two reasons. The first is I wanted to take a look at an Adam Sandler film in which I give his, I think he gives a performance that is worthy of note. And I also think it's underseen and I wanted to talk about it. So I am, I'm really interested to know actually, what, what did you think? In general, as a whole, I did think it was good. I thought it was shot beautifully and there was some wonderful camera action going on. Performances were very good, pretty much by everybody. I thought was giving a great performance. The script was great. It was written lovely. I think, I feel like you got a lot about the characters in quite a short space of time. Like it felt like within sort of one or two lines of dialogue, you really got to know a lot about someone. Um so Saffron Burroughs, I just want to talk about for a second. So I really liked her character and I really liked the way she was introduced because obviously, so it opens, well, you get, you get sort of a bit of the opening sequence, which is following Adam Sandler's character. So Charlie, he's sort of on his scooter riding around um, and you get sort of a bit of a nice soundtrack going on. And then when you're introduced to Don Cheadle, so Alan Johnson, uh, you know, I was expecting Mitchell and Webb to turn up at some point, but, you know, <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Alan Johnson. <laughs> um, 
And then Saffron Burroughs comes into his dental practice. And I think the first thing she says is like, oh, I've seen you around in the elevator. Like, and it's just like, oh, whoa, that's a bit intense for someone when you meet them for the first time. And she's like, oh, you've got, you're married, are you? Oh, I didn't notice a wedding ring. And it was like, and, and I feel like from that, you just get so much about her. It's like, why is she looking to see if he's married? Why is she's like this low key stalker sort of thing? And then like just sort of throughout, um, you just kind of follow her journey a lot as lot as well as everyone else, but you kind of get a lot of her journey as well. And um so Saffron Burroughs is English, isn't she? I was looking before, she's born in London, but I thought she wasn't because her English accent was so bad in Deep Blue Sea. And then in this she's doing an American accent. It was a brilliant accent. I was really surprised she'd do an American accent better than she can an English one. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. It's funny you should mention her because I remember when we did Duke Blue Sea, um, I remember sort of saying, I don't really know what else I've seen her in because um, I, I haven't seen her in that much. And then when she popped up in this, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot she was in this. But no, yeah, she, she, I think she is She is English and she is, she is good in this. She's, it's, it's a really interesting character hers because... It's not just a one-dimensional sort of, like you say, a kind of would-be stalker type character because it starts off like that in that she has this sort of sexual feeling towards Don Cheadle's character and tries to tries to seduce him um, in her own way. But also that you then get a little bit more of a layered approach later on when you find out that actually she's gone for a divorce and I think she mentions that her ex-husband was constantly cheating on her and she feels like devalued and and ignored and stuff like well, that. Well, he had he had a second life essentially. That's and it, he yeah. sort of he had another wife and a family and and you know their neighbors thought of them as like the Joneses and all this and she said that she saw them out and um, like just walking together, you know, just having a lovely time and I just imagine like that would just crush you into a million pieces because you'd feel so betrayed but so confused at the same time. And I feel like you get a lot of this, like lots of really intense feeling throughout the film and it's just portrayed in such a great way and, and they sort of build these feelings with just like great moments of script and great moments of performance. And I feel like none of the characters really were two-dimensional. I feel like you got a lot of depth from from all of them, even some of them who like weren't in it very long. I think there was even one guy, I think it was BJ Novak, who were in the court scene towards the end. And he's, um, so it's when uh, Charlie, so Adam Sandler's character, they're thinking about shipping, shipping him off to a, to a, a mental hospital, for lack of a better word, or like a bit of an asylum. Yeah, they want to have him like committed or like committed, what, what, we, yeah. what we would think of as kind of sectioned, I think. Yeah, because his grief has obviously hit him so much and affected him so badly. And he is just a horrible BJ Novak's character. He then he starts showing him pictures of his dead family. And obviously he's getting really, really distraught. And you just hate him instantly. But you have that kind of you have that impact with every single character. Like you love them, you hate them, you feel sorry for them. Um and that that just goes on all the way through the film. So it it's quite it just feels really full. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. I no, I know. What, I, I, I do know what it's you like mean. A full film. <laughs> I do know what you mean. Like every every character, sort of, like you say, there's more developed characters than others, but every character has good and bad sides. Like in terms of, it's not got a single protagonist. If there is one, it's probably Don Cheadle's character. But but every character has good and bad, and I think that is a really good point about the film. And there are points as well where. It maybe detracts a little bit from the message, which I'll come on to, but I'm interested to know what... So the main reason I picked this is because because of the Adam Sandler performance, which I, I think this is a really good performance. I think people have won Oscars for worse performances than this. So what did you think of his performance? And what did you think of the the way it treats... Again, I know I said it in, in the build-up, but so he plays a character who lost his whole nuclear family, if you will, his, his daughters and his wife and the family pet in the 9-11 attacks. They were on the plane. What did you think of his performance as this sort of man who is... He's a shell of his former self. He's, he's racked with grief. What did you think of it? Yeah, really good. So I, I nearly cried twice and they were both moments uh, where, where he, you know, he was the centre where it was his turn to, turn to speak. It was his uh, monologue or dialogue. Um, and I only didn't cry because I really stopped myself because mm. I was like, no, I need to watch this. I need to pay attention. I need to make notes. And also I just hate crying anyway. And I just feel, you know, <laughs> my eyes feel sore and I get all snotty and I'm just like, Ugh. but no, I really had to hold it in. And it's been a while 
I, it made me realize it's been a while since I've cried even. Maybe mm. I should have let myself, you know, a bit of therapy. Um, but no, brilliant. And just a wonderful way of depicting grief as well. And, and this almost insanity that he's falling into, like with the constant remodeling of the kitchen. Mm. Like, you know, it's it's not, you know, running down the street naked. It's not, you know, going into places and, and causing a massive scene, even though he does do that a couple of times. It's the more subtle things like that. And when... Um, so when Don Cheadle's going, when Alan Johnson sort of sees him, so he, he kind of sees him, doesn't he? He walks past his car, he's on his scooter going past, and he's like calling to him, and he just completely ignores him. And then that happens again, and he finally catches up to him, but Charlie just has no idea who he is. It's like this grief has hit him so bad that whether intentionally or not, he doesn't remember a, a huge chunk of his life. And I was thinking about how severe that is. Like he lived with this man for two years. Imagine living with someone for two years and then not remembering them. And then he just kind of latches on to these small bits of information. And so from then on, he's kind of like, oh yeah, you were my college roommate. Oh yeah, I used to sleep in the nude. And then he tells everybody, he's like, oh yeah, this guy's my college roommate. I used to sleep in the nude because it's like, these are the tiny bits of information that he can remember. And he just sort of keeps reciting them. And um, so yeah, just really interesting techniques to, t to kind of show, to, to show his mental illness, I guess. Like you say, yeah, they do do these little subtle character traits like he he constantly has headphones on because he sort of drowns the world out with music and he has these compulsions to do things like you say like remodel his kitchen he, because because one of the last things he had he had a conversation with his wife about is that she wanted to remodel the kitchen and he kind of says he snapped at her and the last thing he said to her was an argument i mean to go back to what you said about crying i i did tear up twice um and Ooh, I, I wonder if they were the same so moments, i was going to ask you so the two moments i, I well you tell me the two moments you did, and I'll tell you the two moments I did, and we'll see if it's the so, same. So it, the first one was the monologue where he opens up about everything for the very first time. So he's just come out of the therapist's office, who is Liv Tyler, and he's sat on the chair outside, and, and Alan's sort of there waiting for him, and he starts telling him everything, you know, everything that happened and how he felt about it. So that really, really got me. And then the other one was a bit more towards the end where he's talking to um, his wife's parents and he says, um, like, I even miss the stupid dog. I, I look at a German shepherd and I see a poodle, that sort of thing. And that got to me as well um, because, because for me, so I, I've got a dog. I love dogs. Like I'm obsessed with my dog. I love her. She's the best thing ever sort of thing. And it, when I see other dogs, she's a German Shepherd Border Collie Cross. But when I see any dog, I think of her. Mm. I can see a Shih Tzu and I think, oh my hella. Or I can see a Chihuahua and I think, oh yeah, I can see her in there. So I just totally got that and I totally yeah. related to it. But yeah, those were the two for me. Um, it's the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for me, he does like, like you said, he does this big monologue where he finally opens up about what happened to to them and the the events leading up to them. And he does this whole thing where he like walks through the events of 9-11, but it's not that they were sort of in the towers or on the ground. They were on the plane. So he does this big thing about, you know, the plane was from Boston. I hear the plane's from Boston. And he talks you through it step by step. And it's just so powerful. He does this whole monologue about it. And the second moment is exactly the same. So... There's a plot line through the film, which is his in-laws. So his wife is, 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 you know, his late wife's parents are trying to connect with him and trying to get him to open up about her. And they're the ones who are kind of pushing to have him not necessarily be committed, but they want him to get help. They want him to get treatment. They want him to try and move past his grief. And he just will not entertain this idea. He will not speak to them about it. Every time they show up at his house, they, he runs away or he gets on his scooter and goes away. And then at the end, after the court case, well, just before the judge is going to give his verdict and he tells, the judge tells the in-laws, I'm going to let you decide. And Adam Sandler's character basically speaks to them and says to them, it's not, I sort of, I don't, I don't want to move on because I see them everywhere. It's not, it's not what you think it is. And he leans in and he gives, he gives his mother-in-law a kiss on the cheek and it's the most like tender moment. And she like touches her cheek and bursts into tears and I was just gone. I yeah, just, I was yeah. just like, fuck it, like so. And I, I, I did. I wasn't fully wailing, but I was like, like you say, like t tears in my eyes, welling up. And it's just so powerful, like, and it is, and it is really, and and I do think Adam Sandler does bring that everyman quality to his, to his characters. You know, a bit like a sort of Tom Hanks. You know, he's not, he's not like a, he's not like you know, he's not Chris Hemsworth, or he's not, he's not Tom Hardy. He's not this chiselled leading man. So he does have 
that everyman quality, which is why I think it's one of the reasons he's so popular. But he does give this performance in this, and it's it is just yeah, it's so uh, mixed with the writing and the grief as well. It is, and I really like the way that it, the film deals with loss and grief because it takes you on a sort of journey with the two characters, whereby Alan. Don Cheadle's character is kind of exasperated. He's unhappy in his life and he sort of shies away from confrontation and he shies away from dealing with his issues and meeting Charlie and it almost experiencing this loss by kind of osmosis and seeing what happens, what has happened to Charlie makes him, it gives him perspective, I think. I think that's the whole point is it gives him this perspective of like, well, why am I not dealing with my issues? And there's this really lovely moment at the end where he speaks to his wife, played by Jada Pinkett Smith, and it's just this sort of moment where she's like, come home. And he's like, I just want to come home to you because, you know, he spent all this time with this man who's lost his wife and his family, but he still has his, and he's kind of lost his appreciation for them. He's lost his way a little bit. And there's that nice little happy ending where he just goes home to them and appreciates what he's got, I guess. And I do think that's a really lovely message, but also it does it through this exploration of loss and of grief. And I think that's quite, important because it also for me i don't know what you thought but it doesn't labor the point and it isn't cheesy so it gets that balance just right for me what did you think yeah no i didn't think it was cheesy i definitely didn't feel like it was cheesy at all no um i liked how it would sometimes kind of there was a bit of misdirection going on, I suppose. Like it would sometimes lull you into a false sense of security that something is one way, but then it turns out to be another. So I believe it's when they come out of the Mel Brooks movie marathons. We've got Alan and Charlie and Alan finds out that his dad has died. And then Charlie's like, he, he wants to go out or he still wants to go somewhere and he wants to hang out. And Alan's just like, no, not into it at all. And he gets a bit angry. And then Charlie sort of turns up, he either turns up at his work or his house and he apologizes for his behavior. And that's the first time that he's ever apologized for his behavior and you think oh my goodness we're seeing some real character growth here and then literally about five minutes later he starts completely trashing his dental office and it's like oh no hang on with that all that idea of growth has completely gone out the window but i think that's really accurate about how grief is like it isn't just a linear thing it's not just a straight line it's not just oh well two years have been now, so I guess I'm over it. Or oh, five years have been now, so I guess I'm over it. You'll have moments where you think, oh, I'm okay. And then other moments where you're like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. The way it deals with grief, the way it treats grief, it's not, you know, it isn't a Hollywood depiction of grief. It's not you lose someone and you're sort of, you're unhappy. And then as time goes by, it gets better and better and better. This isn't, if you like, normal grief you know there 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 is loss that is kind of something that you can prepare yourself for and there is is loss that is this to lose all you know your wife and your three daughters at the same time in the same tragic event is not something that i think you would ever completely and utterly recover from i mean i don't think you ever completely recover from grief but the you know what i like about this is like you say his behavior is erratic it's not linear it's not he sort of gets better and better and better. One minute he's good. He has good days. He has bad days. And what I like is at the end, he is sort of a bit better. You know, he has shows signs of improvement, but it's not draw a line under it. It's fine. It's, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not like, well, he's moved, he, you know, he moves out of his apartment because he moves away from all the sort of memories that are tinged by this sadness. Selling a little? or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. He does move, but it's not. He's better. He still sits and plays on his Xbox. He still has the same compulsion to, you know, he still has the same sort of glass-eyed, sort of not quite, not quite communicative enough, you know, look about him. And I really like that. I think it's quite a realistic depiction of someone suffering with a, you know, a really heightened sense of loss. It's interesting how most of the characters who aren't Charlie, seem to have an idea about how he should be grieving. And it's almost like the way he's doing it is unacceptable. But for him, he must feel like he's got nothing else to lose. Because I believe as well, they mentioned his both his parents died when he was in grade school. That was like the first bit of information you sort of find out about him. It's, it's kind of what I remember Alan Johnson saying about him, first of all. Um, so he's literally lost everything and he's got no one left who knows him in that sort of intimate way whether it be family or or your spouse um and he just he's it's not too destructive what he's doing i don't think until he pulls the gun obviously on the police officer and, and you know or pulls the gun on the cab driver and then the police come and intervene and they have sort of a almost what could be a, a shootout mm. um but before then he's i don't think he's it's just self-destructive, isn't it? He's not kind of acting out. I don't think he's requiring anybody to be around him while he's grieving. But everyone else seems to have this idea, oh, you need to be looking at pictures of them. Mm. That that was that's something that really that really pissed me off as well. I mean, I appreciate that the family, the parents want to look at pictures of their daughter and their grandchildren. But for some people, that isn't going to help. And it's not like he needs reminding of what they look like. Like he loved them and he saw them every day. And I'm sure he sees them every single time he closes his eyes or tries to get to sleep at night, you know? Yeah, and you're right. That's what that's one of the things I like about the depiction, which is that he, he doesn't lose himself. Like you say, it's not, it doesn't show him drinking taking drugs you know doing other things to try and, and and find any any kind of satisfaction in his life it it's he loses himself in compulsions so he's constantly playing the same xbox game over and over again he's constantly remodeling the kitchen over and over again he listens to the same songs on his ipad he shuts the world out he won't deal with the world and other characters do show this sort of apathy towards the way he's dealing with things. But the fact of the matter is, is there's no right way to do it. So like you say, at the end, the solicitor played by BJ Novak starts doing this thing where he's showing pictures to the courtroom about, he's showing pictures of his daughter and his wife. And there was part of that. And we'll come on to the dislikes shortly if there is any, but when he was showing these pictures where I was like, I just, I don't know if that would be allowed. I don't know if, if he's sitting there sort of almost screaming and, and rocking, rocking back and forward and listening to music. If a judge would be like, yeah, no, keep upsetting him. And But the judge did have a proper pop at him yeah. afterwards, which I was really happy about. That was really satisfying because I was like, there's no way, because I was fuming at him. I was like, Are you absolute scumbag. Yeah. But like, why are you doing it? It's like he's trying to do it to get a kick out of him or, or that like he's financially invested in some way. Just, you know, scumbag lawyers, isn't it? But um, but I'm glad the judge got him for that. If yeah, the judge yeah. hadn't done that, with like a lovely, it's a lovely little term by Donald Sutherland who's in it for like five minutes, but... If yeah, he, been brilliant, isn't yeah, it? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the man's got a voice like a hot chocolate. He's just, it's just lovely. But he has this little cameo that he says to the judge, and if he hadn't have told him off 
I that that would have that would have gone in my dislikes. That's that yeah. sort of I would have been like, that's too far. That's too like that's too much of a villainous thing for someone to do. I understand that in a legal case, people will do things to try and win it and create a moral vacuum and all that sort of stuff. But showing a man pictures of his family when he's absolutely torn apart by their by their unf- their tragic death, I, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been in that situation, but I imagine there's not a judge that would be like, no, this is fine. Yeah, you're essentially mentally torturing this man, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so I was glad mm-hmm. they did that. So I also like this thing that some films do. It's kind of like a plot device. It's just kind of like a nice little moment in films. It's kind of like this chain of inappropriate behavior. So you get Saffron Burrow's character, who's being very inappropriate towards Don Cheadle's character. And then in turn, he is being very inappropriate to Liv Tyler's character, who's the therapist, because he waits for her outside her office. And she says, you can't keep doing this. You can book an appointment with me or you can go and see a proper therapist. And I just love seeing that. It's like people are so oblivious to their own inappropriate behaviour. That's interesting. I didn't think of that, actually. Yeah, every single like and it goes back to the the sort of script and the development of the characters, which is like you say, everyone, ev- everyone has pros and cons. And so he's talking about you know, this Saffron Burroughs' character sort of basically sexually harassing him. But then he is waiting outside of Liv Tyler's, who plays the therapist's office, to ask for advice. Obviously, I think I think one is worse than the other, but it's still not okay. And they're not necessarily... Definitely not. They're not necessarily quantifiable against each other. But it is, that's I an think... interesting point. You know, their characters are two-dimensional. I mean, I'd, I'd be mortified if if a man was waiting for me every day after work and be like, this is weird. This is almost stalkerish behavior. But he just kind of doesn't see the seriousness of it. But she handles it very well because she does try to express how inappropriate it is. But she stays very calm, very cool. She plays quite a good therapist. I wasn't sure. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about Liv Tyler, you know. Like, obviously, I loved her in Lord of the Rings and she plays a great elf. But every time I see her in other things, I just feel like it's a bit flat and like I don't feel like I'm getting much from her but I feel like her performance just really suited the character and just she was a really nice just kind of soft well-spoken therapist and I think she did that quite well and she didn't do it like I feel like a lot of therapists in films and in real life are just really irritating because they obviously (laughs) charge so much going to see a therapist is so unobtainable for so many people because they can't afford it which is horrendous because if we can't take care of our mental health we're fucked so uh, but it was nice to just get sort of an all right not such a snaky kind of just after your cash kind of depiction we'll move on to talking about the dislikes then anything we sort of uh you know we didn't we didn't like about the film i'm interested to know is is there anything massive in there for you uh, so the score I didn't like at all. So not the soundtrack. The soundtrack was fine and great, and I love hearing those kind of songs. But the score itself, I just find it it didn't really match, and I found it a little bit distracting, and I just didn't like it. I don't know if you kind of picked up on it or if you noticed it at all. No, I mean, it's funny you should mention that. No, I didn't, know, I didn't notice it in a good way or a bad way. I, I think the soundtrack is brilliant, but the score didn't have any impact on me. So I suppose in that sense, I can see what you mean. But So you mean it was kind of jarring? I just felt like it, it wasn't necessary. And for me, it didn't add anything. Like, I feel like you've got, you've got the soundtrack there and that's doing a lot of the work. And it's mostly, well, a lot of it is diegetic. Um, but yeah, the score, it just kind of felt like it was there to... To, to to like mask something or or there to try and hide something that, that was going wrong elsewhere. But I just felt like it didn't really need it. Um, the other thing that it almost, it was sort of teetering on. So Alan's wife, um, I can't remember her name, but Jada Pinkett Smith, yep. her character. So she's, they're very close to just, just uh, depicting her as this nagging wife. And I hate this kind of trope in films where if a woman asks where her husband is or where a significant other has been all night, all night he was out most of the time, they've got what one or two children that she's seen as really naggy and that that's a really negative thing. And I'm like, my husband was out all night when he wasn't meant to be. Like, if he'd been at work and he hadn't come home and, you know, I'm phoning him 14, 15 times, leaving him messages, I'd be I'd be shitting myself. I'd literally think that the worst has happened. But it's always turned into this, like, oh, 
uh, this old ball and chain. Eh? She's always nagging me about something. It's like, no, we just care about your well-being. No, I, I've got that in my notes as well. I, I, similar sort of thing. I think it's it's that. It's Yeah, they, they do... They don't quite portray her as a nagging wife, but I think the reason they don't is because it's so packed with character development that she's actually not given that much to do. So Certainly all, less than the others, yeah, I think. So, so yeah. of all the characters that do get development, she is given the least, I suppose. But also they do sort of show moments of he does act like a bit of, you know, he does act very self selfishly and stuff. So you do get enough sympathy for her that she's not not portrayed as a nagging wife. But I know, I completely know what you mean. Like, especially if you live in a city as well, especially if you live in New York City where Christ knows what would happen. You know what I mean? I'd be, I'd be, I'd be shit myself if my, like they say, like my other half just disappeared and wasn't answering my calls. So it's like, but I'm just having a good time because I'm not quite, you know, I'm just not fulfilled in my life. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't really care. You're also my husband and the father of my two kids. So maybe just let me know where you are. Yeah, just a little text. Just yeah. a little text saying, oh, about to go into a movie marathon. Obviously, I want to turn my phone off because I'm a good movie watcher and a good <laughs> customer, but nothing. And then like, she's the bad guy. And the other thing as well, and this is something I'm really in two minds about, and I don't have, you know, a right or wrong answer to this, but it'll be interesting to see what you think. So using September 11th and what happened on that day as a plot device, I sometimes wonder where where that sits, because is it just a cheap grab for shock value, or is it, you, you know, it, it is something that did happen. And I'm sure there are thousands of families out there who are feeling exactly what Charlie's feeling. So is it important to get their story told as well? I don't think there is a right or a wrong answer, but I remember there's a film called Remember Me with Robert Pattinson and the Australian girl from Lost in it. Um, and that kind of felt like that. Like the whole film kind of all along was just kind of like, oh yeah, this is all right or whatever. And then at the last minute it was like, oh, but it all happened on September 11th. And it just felt, it felt like it was just to shock people. And I feel like if the motivation isn't pure, then I don't really know how I feel about it. But what do you think about that? So I think it's a really difficult type tightrope to walk along. I think this film gets it right. I think it gets the balance right. I think using using anything really that that is a, a you know a, a, an event of great tragedy where lots and lots of lives were lost like like September 11th is is risky. I think this does it well because it doesn't it doesn't linger on the details of the attacks and it doesn't use it as a twist straight away as soon as Charlie is mentioned Alan it, it's the first thing it is mentioned is is he the one who lost his family in the attacks or something like that. There's a line. So it's not kept back. It's not kept back for this reveal, this sort of, oh, it was September 11th all along. So I like that. I like the fact that you know from the get-go, his family died in the September 11th attacks. It's not if it's not sort of trivializing that. I think that if you look at when it was made, which is 2007, so obviously six years after the, after the event, I think it's probably quite a, almost, especially because a lot of the cast are from New York. Certainly Adam Sandler is, I think possibly might be quite a cathartic um, process. It's difficult. And I know, and we'll come on to the critical reception, I know some of the critics did say they felt that it used it to tug at your heartstrings. I don't think it did. I don't think it did use it for emotion, emotional manipulation. I think it mentions it in passing. Charlie does maybe one piece of dialogue, which is the monologue we've already talked about, about the actual details of the attack. But other than that, it doesn't linger on the details and it doesn't use it to manipulate you. It's more about loss. It's more about the fact that he's lost his wife and his children. The fact that it was in those attacks is mentioned, but it's more about his dealing with his grief. And I and I like that. I think it gets the balance right. I think of a lot of the times as well when when things like that do happen is obviously it happens, but then the next day the rest of the world get to move on. But then obviously all those families, and it would have been so many families who were impacted by that. It, it's not as simple as that. And you probably don't always feel like you can talk to people about it. You probably don't even know where to go for help, you, you probably get to a point where you think, oh, no one wants to hear about my sad life anymore. And then watching something like that does help. I mean, well, like I even said before, on a much, much smaller scale, but like how I related to him saying about how he sees his poodle in all the other dogs. And that made me feel better because it was like, oh, he does that too. And he's like, oh, I do that. So I guess that, I mean, that is a lot about what films, what they can 
be used for and kind of where their power can lie is it just makes someone feel like, oh, maybe I'm not alone. Someone has thought about this. Someone has written a script about this. Someone has written a whole film about this. Um, and like you say as well, yeah, because it's set in New York as well and, and all those connections and, yeah, and I've, yeah. But they were the only things for me and it, it, they in no way ruined it for me at all and they weren't the main things that I, I sort of went away thinking about. Um, why? What, what did you pick up on that you might not have liked? Um, a couple of things that you've sort of already mentioned. I don't think they gave Jada Pinkett Smith enough character, develop, character development or enough to do. In, 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 and she's a very, you know, she's a great actress and, and she could have been given more to do. There's little, it's little things. I think there was, there was a couple of pacing, pacing issues where it was a little meandering in points, but I can kind of forgive that because overall it was very emotionally impactful. There's certainly a couple of uses of a homophobic slur, which I didn't like, but I, I, not that I can forgive it, but I, I know that it is, it's from 2007. So unfortunately, as we've discussed in previous episodes, that idea of gay panic was still very much present in TV and in films. The fact that they use the word, I don't know. I guess it could show his aging. It's not okay, but it didn't. It didn't completely ruin anything for me. However, I'm not someone who could be offended by that. I guess um, there's there's two real issues for me, and it's again like you said, it didn't ta- it didn't ruin the film for me, but I did notice them. First one, actually, well, the first thing I was going to say is. The the handling of Saffron Burroughs' character, I was not entirely sure of her point. So other than to put Don Cheadle's character under under additional strain, I'm not sure if she adds that much to the film. She gives a good performance, and she's quite a well written character, and it's certainly an interesting thing to discuss. But when you actually when I, when I'm trying to look at it objectively. I wasn't too sure of her character. However, the the bigger point with her character is I'm not sure you'd let her be friends necessarily with Charlie's character. Because at the end, there's this kind of hint that she's sort of moved on from Don Cheadle to Adam Sandler's character in a way that she sort of sees him as a sort of little puppy dog that needs looking after. And I'm not too sure any right-minded person would allow them to form a friendship almost unsupervised. If you know that she'd previously engaged in sort of slightly unhinged predatory behavior, I'm not sure it would be okay to then allow her to move on to a very, very vulnerable man. But I don't know. What do you think? Is that, am I, am I making something of nothing there? No, I don't think so. It's definitely a fair point. For me, a lot of it was because they're both grieving for for their own different mm. reasons and they've both got such serious issues. So it was kind of like that. It's, you know, just kind of like the two fucked up people kind of getting together and, and maybe trying to make a go of it. Um, but no, I do agree, especially because so when Alan is about to leave them, so they, uh, they're in Charlie's new flat and obviously Saffron Burroughs is there and she's got the pizza and stuff um, and Alan's about to leave or whatever and she tries to kiss him. And with that, I was just like, oh, no, she's still completely bonkers, pretty much. It's like he's made it very clear he's not interested. He's married. He he doesn't want to know. And she still tries to do that. And I think if she hadn't have done that, it would have been better. And, and uh, it would have been more digestible because like, oh, maybe she has grown and maybe she's come a long way as well. Um, but she obviously she clearly needs therapy as well, as do Charlie, as does Charlie. Sorry. Um, but no, yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I agree with what you say, but I, I don't think it uh, affected me maybe as much as it did you. No, and I, and I completely under, and I've got that written here, which is similar to what you said. And I understand that idea that we're trying to do two two grieving sort of almost broken people that have tried to find each other, but perhaps they needed to portray her in a slightly more sympathetic light, or or show her have a bit more development than just suddenly moving from one to the other. But like you say, it didn't completely detract from the film. The other thing that I thought was interesting was there was some slight inconsistencies in the characterization of Charlie, which is which is Adam Sandler's character. So he, for example, leading on to what I've, from what I've just said, he will absolutely not entertain the idea of another woman in his life in a romantic sense. So so Alan mentions to him at one point that someone's another woman is is cute or or he infers about Charlie finding romantic love in another woman. And he just will not entertain that idea. 
And then when Saffron Burroughs' character comes into it, he immediately sort of drops into this slightly misogynistic character talking about how, like, how amazing, how beautiful she is. And then you add that to later on when he just will not stop talking about... <sighs> he will not stop talking about Liv Tyler's character's breasts. So there's mm. a strange sort of dropping into misogyny, which that's fine. If that's meant to show him maybe being like he used to be, which was, you know, a bit, like you say, a bit of a lad, a bit misog- a bit misogynistic. I-, I get that, but it detracted a little bit from the sympathy for me. And I know the two aren't equatable. Someone being, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a misogynist and losing their entire loved ones in an attack is not, that's not equatable, but it did sort of take the shine off a little bit for me. And I thought it was a little con- a bit inconsistent. And I wonder why they put it in the film. I wonder if it's meant to be for light relief in a film that's sort of quite heavy, but I think they could have done that in a different way that wasn't so sort of objectifying two of the female characters in the film. If, if, if you get, ca- if you catch my drift. Yeah. I think for me that those kind of things were, were more, like he has his barriers and and um like his what what is deemed appropriate and stuff like it's all messed up like his his brain is so messed up from the grief you know like he's forgetting things it's like maybe he's forgotten how you're supposed to you know speak to people how you're supposed to act around beautiful women that sort of thing so i just and also when you've lost everything and you feel like you've got nothing else to lose you just say any old shit that comes out of your mouth that's interesting actually because it's almost like it's almost like he's a he's he's a child or a teenager at points, isn't it? So perhaps it, perhaps it's just leading on to that. Perhaps it's that idea that, along with the compulsions, he's almost he, he's almost childlike in his mannerisms. I guess so. It's an interesting point that I hadn't thought of that. We'll move on to talking about the uh, critical reception that the film uh, received. Now, I picked this, obviously I've already said I picked it for Adam Sandler's performance, but in terms of the pod, I've picked it because I think it's underseen. However, I'm still interested to know, how did you think it did critically? Oh, um, so I wonder, so if I think about what I might have given it, um, I probably would go mid to high sevens. I think that there was a lot in there, great performances, great script, shot beautifully. Um, and I would think that that is what it got. So uh, probably between kind of the 7.8 mark and maybe up to an eight, I would, I would have thought around there. Yeah. So on IMDb, it gets 7.4 out of 10 at time of recording on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got 81% from the audience and 64% from the critics. So what do we think? Is that is the critic score a little harsh? I think that is a little bit harsh. What were some of their complaints? So it's um it's a little bit like we mentioned before mentioned before. So the 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 sort of there's a few of them that sort of say it's a self-indulgent addition to American cinema's post-9-11 cinema. Rain over me sees Sandler overreach himself in a straight-faced role. So it's it's that sort of... A lot of it says it, it kind of is using 9-11 as a, as a tool to emotionally manipulate its audience. Now, presumably those reviews were written when it came out in 2007, and we're looking at this now in 2021. So we have the benefit of that gap and a much longer gap since the event in question. So I suppose it's 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 difficult to say. What I would say, in my opinion, is that if this film wasn't Adam Sandler, if it's someone else playing that part, I wonder if it gets a better critical reception. Because Adam Sandler carries with him the baggage that he carries in terms of what he's known for, I, I wonder if it gets more critical recognition and 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 i i think all i know josh is that i nearly cried twice Mm. and not a lot of films do that to me like i said i couldn't even remember the last time i cried and i think there's a lot to be said for that um i definitely think that critical that critical score is harsh i would have put it in the seven bracket somewhere the imdb score i think is fair the audience score, I think, is great. Maybe a little, a little high, but that's fantastic. Um, but no, definitely, I would have said in the seven range for sure. So, uh, is it safe to say you'd say it's underrated? I would say it's underrated. Yeah, underrated and underseen. 
So, there we go. Another one that is uh, underseen, which is why I picked it, and underrated. So, um, yeah, Rain Over Me. I'd definitely say check it out. I'd definitely say give it a watch, but only if you're feeling, you know, in a, in a good place emotionally, shall we say. Uh, Alice, it's your turn to pick next week, so what are we watching? Well, funny about all that talk about dogs, because my pick for next week is All Dogs Go to Heaven. All Dogs Go to Heaven. Um... Okay. Have you seen that? You look confused. I haven't. I haven't. But oh, but I'm... interesting. I love it when I pick one uh, you yeah. haven't seen. It's so, so um, <laughs> tune in next week when we will be talking about um, all dogs go to heaven. Yeah. So um, thank you very much for for listening. Um, I just take a little minute to, to, to say uh, first of all, thank you very much for listening to the pop. Second of all, if you could possibly find it in your heart and find it in your schedule to pop onto iTunes, give us a little five-star review. It would be very much appreciated. It helps us get noticed. It helps other people uh, find us. And um, if you like us, please do that. And if you don't, do it anyway, because, you know, it's been a tough time for everyone. So help us out, yeah? Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, if you've got a film you want us to do, if you want to know, uh, if you want to let us know what you thought of, of Rain Over Me, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we've got an email address, filmsatthatpod at gmail.com. And if you look for just films and that on any social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, we're on all of them. So get in touch. We'd like to hear from you. Uh, Alice Oliver, thank you very much for joining me. It's been emotional, Josh, but a pleasure as always. Uh, and it's goodbye from me. Cheerio. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.